Well, hello, welcome back. Uh, I'm Pastor Lars Hammer here from Lord of Grace. I hope everyone had a good Christmas vacation. I uh, hope you all had a great holiday time. Uh, I enjoyed a little break. I was able to get off and go to Colorado. Uh, you probably noticed on Sunday the journey back was, was a little harrowing for me. Got caught in some snowstorms and a flat tire and all these fun kind of things that happened. Well, uh, New Year's here. And I had promised that I was going to start something different this year. I had spent Advent, we had been doing some spiritual practices. Those videos are still up. Uh, the Lectio Divina, the reading through the scriptures, uh, they're still up. You can go and check those out, I encourage that. Again, you can use that practice with any uh, particular scripture you wanna use. So go ahead, check that out. Um, I have decided that for this time, for January, I'm gonna take a look at uh, a topic I'm calling being an unfundamentalist Christian. And I, ha I spent some time trying to figure out what do, I, what do I want to talk about, what is the message I want to get out. And I realized that the message I really want to get out is how great the message is of what we have here in the ELCA, in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, and the message that we have here at Lord of Grace that is so different from what's out there and what's in the common perception. I really wanted to get that out. And so I tried to figure out how do I say what that message is. Um, I don't like using kind of secular categories for describing churches, you know, progressive, conservative. Uh, those are secular categories. Uh, I, but trying to find a good religious one was not easy either, right? Uh, Lord of Grace, we're a, we're a Lutheran church, so that's part of who we are. We have a tradition that goes back to Martin Luther. Uh, there are different brands of Lutheranism, of course, so that word encompasses some of who we are, but we are, differ theologically very much from some other Lutheran branches. For example, uh, there are some that don't allow women to vote or be on the board. They, they take a verse in 2 Timothy about women uh, having not having authority very literally. We in the ELCA do not. Uh, so for example, we have women pastors, women bishops, we have a trans bishop now in San Francisco. So, uh, so would we be called a progressive church? Well, somewhat, but that label has a lot of baggage with it and it, it contains a lot of things that aren't necessarily in our beliefs. So I get a little bit nervous about taking on those kind of labels. So I thought, what would be a good, what would be a good way to explain it? And so I'm gonna go with the label of unfundamentalist which is a little bit on the negative. It's not my invention, I'll openly say. I did not come up with that term. There's Facebook groups being an unfundamentalist Christian. I blatantly copied the name, uh, the title from others, but I feel like it kind of describes as best, uh, as best as it can of the words I could find. So what am I going to do? Well, uh, I have found in my time as a pastor uh, at that in our world today, in America, in our culture, there is a perception that Christianity consists of two versions. You're either Roman Catholic or you're a fundamentalist, evangelical, uh, and that's basically it. And I used to teach at the community college. One of the things I did for about five years, I taught at the local community college, Pima, I just did one class at a time. So I still had my full-time call, but I would teach one class there. It started out as religion and popular culture. I, eventually they moved me, they had me teach one philosophy class. I also taught one class on New Testament. And it was kind of fun, it was kind of a way to get out of the church bubble and kind of get a sense of where uh, college students and the culture are these days and things. So 
I was teaching these classes. One of the big impressions that I kept getting from students over and over was that they had no idea that Christians existed who were not either Roman Catholic or fundamentalist slash evangelical. I know most evangelicals don't like calling themselves fundamentalist, but the reality is if you scratch under the surface, they share most of the same beliefs. Um, they may have very, very nice packaging, right? Uh, they may not be standing there with the Bible thumping, screaming, hell, 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 hell. Uh, but if you scratch under the surface of their theology, I think you'll find that most of the theology and their practices are pretty much the same. But either way, that was the perception. And so I would get up there and teach and talk about things like interpreting the Bible in new ways. I would talk about historical critical method, which is a way of looking at biblical texts. I would talk about how my denomination has women in leadership and does not hate gays and trans kids. And they would look at me with absolute and utter shock, like I had come from some other weird planet. And so I found that I would have to sit and explain that no, there's actually a lot of us Christians out there. There's millions of us Christians out there in America and throughout the world who are not uh, fundamentalists, who do not subscribe to this particular kind of package of um, sometimes conservative politics, conservative economics, uh, particularly views about women, LGBTQ, that we don't subscribe to that, that we aren't literalists uh, and, so, and so on. Again, I'd always get these crazy stares. But what are the things in the popular belief? So I'll name them. The general popular belief uh, about Christians, the ones that I kept running into were that we don't believe in science or evolution. That was a common uh, thing. You know, there, and it's true, there's, there's a lot of Christians out there who believe that the world was made in 4004 BC on October, I can't remember what day. There was a guy named Bishop Usher and he tried to go back through the Bible and calculate exactly uh, the day that it happened in Genesis as if those stories were all literal stories. He and his calculation came up with 4004 BC. And so there are people out there, the famous one is Ken Ham, you might remember him, he's the guy who built a big fake ark in, is it Tennessee or Kentucky? Built a gigantic fake ark. And um, to prove to people that Noah's ark really was real and happened, I don't know how building a fake boat proves anything. Um, it was kind of shocking that he was able to get enough people to cough up the millions of dollars to build this thing. Uh, my atheist friends laugh this guy off, uh, just laugh him out of the room, he's ridiculous. Um, but he's big and visible right? And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, he's big and visible. Uh, so people see this. They see this ark. They see this guy standing there. They see him getting money. They see people paying him to try to prove that, that a literal flood came and they literally had two of every animal from all over the world and they all put them on a boat and they didn't eat each other and, you know, Noah's ark is not a literal story, but that's what they see. So that's one of the first perceptions, right? that Christians don't believe in science, that we believe in certain metaphorical biblical stories literally, and so we've kind of got our minds closed to scientific discovery. That is not our position in the Lutheran church at all. Um, it never has been. You know, Lutherans have never got involved in evolution fights and stuff. Um, maybe I'll get into that in another, in a future episode. Um, another one, Christians don't care about the environment. That was a common one. 
Uh, Christians don't care about the environment. They figure Jesus is coming, so they just trash it. Uh, unwilling to ever embrace any possibility. <coughs> Excuse me, I got picked up a cold off in my Colorado trip, I think. Just give me a second here. But that's a common one. Uh, the, the belief that, you know, Jesus is coming, and so since Jesus is coming, uh, who cares about the environment? Let's just trash it. You know, cut every redwood, mine every mountain, you know, pollute every river. You know, well, what's the point in saving anything if Jesus is coming? Now, again, I'll, probably, I'll get into this in a future episode, but if Jesus, Jesus clearly said you won't know when he's going to come. Uh, there's kind of a presumptuousness there. But the perception, again, that it gives to the people of the world is we're trying to preserve our planet for future generations and Christians are trying to trash it. Um, we do not teach that in the ELCA, in the, in the Lord of Grace. Uh, the third one uh, is that uh, Christians hate LGBTQ people. That one is probably the biggest one. Uh, my, 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 my kids will run into other kids at the high school. They'll find out, they'll say, oh, you know, they'll hear, oh, uh, your dad's a pastor. Um, so he must hate gays. I mean, that, that like flows out of their mouth instantaneously, reflexively. Pastor hates gays. Christian hate gays. Um, and the kids just spout that. Well, why do they think that? Well, turn on your news, right? You could have churches all over the place that are very open and affirming of people who are LGBTQ. The one guy who stands there and screams gays are going to hell or you know, those two women up in Phoenix who are hell-bent that they are not going to bake a rainbow-colored gay wedding cake, um, and they're going to go to the Supreme Court if they have to to make sure that nobody makes them bake that cake. That gets publicity. It gets visible. It gets all, it, and here we are over here, us, you know, are more open and affirming Christians saying, um, we don't share that, but we don't get profiled, right? So what gets burned into the public consciousness? Um, and I've seen probably of all the issues that I've run into where young people have said, I'm not going back to church, the biggest reason I hear is that one. Churches uh, are hateful and judgmental towards people who are gay. I don't want any part of a hate group. And it just, it breaks my heart. Uh, and I understand, that, again, there's a bigger issue, and we can get into that in future episodes, how exactly it got to the point where uh, opposition to things like gay marriage became this litmus test for many churches. Um, and I have found, too, you do have to kind of be a little careful when you're out there these days because there are a lot of churches that will not let you know that that's what they think because they've kind of done their marketing and they say, oh, millennials, younger generations, we know they have a very liberal stance on this issue, we, but we believe that because of how we interpret the Bible that this is a non-negotiable, absolute truth, that, that, that all gay sex is forbidden, period, end of story. But if it's bad marketing, we won't put it on our website like we used to do in the 80s and 90s. We'll just we'll kind of hide it and just not talk about it um, as much. Maybe you'll find out in a Bible study later. I think there's a lot of kind of bait and switch going on out there. Um, but this is a big one. This is not what I believe. This is not what uh, the ELCA believes. Um, there are actually a lot of us Christians out there who do not have a hateful, judgmental view towards uh, LGBTQ. All right. Um, a fourth one. Uh, Christians are obsessed with rules about sex and chastity and virginity and are sexually repressed. Um, 
and are obsessed with talking about not having sex and what it leads to is them engaging in uh, perverse sex acts and so they'll point to the Roman Catholic Church with their celibacy rules for priests and then show all the abusive priests and on the flip side, you know, on the evangelical side, you'll see somebody like Josh Duggar who not only turns into a, uh, engages in molestation but ends up getting involved in child porn and I think one of the police officers said that when he had to search Josh Duggar's hard drive, he said it was some of the darkest, uh, uh, ugliest, evilest stuff he'd ever seen in his life. And here's a guy who was promoting Christian family values on TV. Again, visible, very visible in the public eye. Um, and so there's that belief that we are, that, that there's kind of an obsession with that. Um, again, that's not where we stand. So we can get to, again, get to that later. Another one, uh, I'm not gonna get to too many of these, uh, but there's another one, uh, women's subordination. That, this one is a huge one. You know, there's a particular, there's a bunch of verses in the later part of the New Testament, at the end of the New Testament. They're not in the Gospels, they're not from Jesus' mouth, but they come later, and there are some particularly in Ephesians. Wives, obey your husbands, husbands, love your wives, right? And so they'll take that and say, well, Bible says women have to obey their husbands, period. That's the order of things. God ordained it. It's in the Bible. The scripture says, and then so people will say, <coughs> dang, dang, excuse me, it's cold. Uh, so then they'll say, well, so you're saying that men should be the bosses and that should be a hierarchy. And then they'll say, no, it's complimentary, right? She obeys, he loves. It's complimentary. And I'm like, no, that's still a hierarchy. <laughs> if it was complementary, there would be no power balance, right? They both have to obey. But how does that work? Uh, so um, we do not teach uh, that complementarianism, which is really just patriarchy under a fancy name. We don't teach women subordination. We have women in leadership. Um, next, uh, uh, and so, uh, so those are kind of the, maybe the biggest ones. Uh, that I hear, you could go on and on, judgmental attitudes and anger, closed-mindedness, on and on. Some of it's legitimate, some of it may borders on being hateful or being an excuse, but I won't lie that the people who have that perspective, the fundamentalist perspective, uh, are very, I mean, they're visible and they, they get in the media. I will also admit the media loves to profile them, right? You know, we know most of the people in mainstream media are not churchgoers, they're not Christians, and, and they love scandal, scandal sells. You know, if they can catch a, catch a, for every Josh Duggar they catch, there could be, you know, hundreds of thousands of guys being, being absolutely wonderful people, but, you know, Christian guy is a good guy and helps his neighbor, doesn't make headlines, right? So, uh, we don't believe that stuff. I don't believe that stuff. That's not where we come from. I believe those things are kind of fundamentalist positions among, and there's other doctrinal things you could get into, but these perceptions are perceptions that do exist to many, it's not us. And so it pains my heart to see that people, that, that kids, kids in particular, but basically anybody in our culture is sitting there and looking out into the culture and saying that, feeling like you have only two choices. One, you don't go to church at all, or two, you have to subscribe to all this kind of narrow-minded, anti-science, judgmental stuff. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, if, if those were my only two choices, I wouldn't go either. 
If, if I had to move to a town, say, hypothetically, uh, I just had to move to a town, and my only choice was a fundamentalist church that taught, you know, these kind of things, you know, no evolution, women's subordination, opposition to gay marriage. I, I just, I'd either start my own or I just wouldn't go, you know, because um, I wouldn't do it. If those were my only choices. But does everyone in the world know that you have other choices? You don't have to choose. And not only do you not have to choose, but that if you look at Jesus, if you just look at Jesus in the Gospels, what does he say, what does he do? I will argue that the stuff you see on TV is not consistent with Jesus. There are passages in the Bible where those, a lot of those ideas are pulled from or that they use to defend those positions. They do exist, I won't deny them, um, but those aren't out of Jesus' mouth. So I will argue and I will tell you uh, that there is a third way that it is more honest to Jesus, it is more consistent with what he taught and what he believes, and you can find a loving, accepting, inclusive, wonderful, grace-filled God without having to subscribe to that stuff, and that's what we are. So, um, so I, I titled this, as I've been kind of talking here, I titled this um, episode sort of Rediscovering Grace, and so I thought what I would do kind of giving, after giving that long introduction, is tell a little bit about where I come from personally as the pastor. I had somebody tell me that I need to tell my own story more, that uh, if everything gets too impersonal and abstract and in the doctrine, and you know, and to be able to answer, why am I here? Uh, why am I a Lutheran? What do I believe? You know, I'm the one who gets up on Sunday morning, and I'm not the only, you know, my word isn't absolute God's word, but it is what you hear every week. Um, what do I believe? Where do I stand? Oh, like I say, my throat, I'm going to take care of that cold. So, a little bit about where I come from. Um, usually, the story that you hear when people talk about not being a fundamentalist anymore, it, is, it follows a particular pattern that's fairly predictable, uh, that repeats a lot, which is they grow up in one of these kind of circles. They grow up in this church, it's hardcore, it's got all these rules, purity culture, you know, virginity to the T, no gay, literal Bible, and they get this drilled into them, right? And then they get to a certain age, go off to college or read some books or something, and they start to question this. Is it really true that you, you really, we really believe every animal got put on Noah's Ark? We really don't believe in a big bang? I mean, you really think that God made people gay and then told them that if they act on the way that God made them, that it's sinful, that they just have to sit and be miserable all their lives? Do you really believe this? And so they start questioning and questioning. And then they would go into a phase of either deconstruction, right? I love Jesus, but I don't quite, I, I want to I go back to the scripture and reinvestigate. Um, or there's just walking away, right? I don't want to be a part of that stuff. I can't believe that. Pfft, I'm out. And so that's kind of the two ways it goes. My story is very different. I started out as a Lutheran. I've always been a Lutheran. I've died in the wool, born and raised Lutheran. Um, and grew up, I was kind of a church nerd. I mean, I taught Sunday school. I was in the choir. I was a camp counselor. My, my church nerd credentials are pretty good. Um, I did not grow up fundamentalist. I didn't grow up literalist. Uh, and I went off to college and actually kind of went the other way. Uh, I got involved in a 
a group, a friend of mine came up to me and she invited me to join a non-denominational Christian fellowship. And being from small town, northern Minnesota, I didn't understand uh, those words, what they were code for. Uh, every church in my town was a part of some denomination, unless they were fly by night. That was kind of our phrase for them, you know, where the one individual preacher would just go in with his Bible and, and build a little church on the corner. Uh, we just called them fly by night because we knew that as soon as that preacher was gone or retired, the place would scatter and people would... So, um, but pretty much everything was denominational. Uh, even the more conservative churches, they were Assembly of God or, uh, you know, they, they were either Assembly of God or they were something like Christian Missionary Alliance. Um, they were denominational. So, I didn't really understand what that means. So, I got involved in this group. Uh, it wasn't big. They met on, I think it was Tuesday nights. We met, we got together, and um, uh, we would go, they would go through and they had a little worship service. Little by little, as I got more involved in the group, I got to learn that non-denominational with them was really a, it was really a fundamentalist. Uh, they were not open to churches that had liturgy and ritual. Uh, they were definitely not open to any sort of remotely liberal or progressive ideas. Um, and, uh, and so as time went by, I started to kind of realize some things. And it was a kind of a slow, uh, realization, uh, certain impressions that I had that kind of woke me up. Um, for example, uh, one of them was they had the weird sort of, this is college, right? So there was kind of always this weird sexual tension dynamic in the room. Uh, they both were, they were kind of always obsessed with not doing it, but always talking about not doing it, and then always feeling guilty about talking about not doing it and then obsessing about feeling guilty about talking about not doing it. And it just kind of, it was just such a weird repressed dynamic. Um, I watched a lot of them get married quickly. I don't know if their marriage has lasted, but I watched a lot of them get married quickly. Um, I, I, and I watched them try to strain their minds over weird literalistic things. Uh, one was a biology, even a biology major, uh, and didn't believe in evolution. She understood it well enough to answer the questions on the tests, but she didn't believe it. I don't know how she, embrace that cognitive dissonance. I fell out of the group as I got farther in, as I started to see their perspectives on things, particularly when it came to, uh, when it came to what, it was the 90s, they called it gay rights back then. But um, when I started seeing some of their attitudes, the way they would talk about people, uh, you know, we went from Jesus's love to a very kind of hateful, judgmental tone and I was kind of conservative on the issue at the time, but the hateful tone was a huge turnoff and I couldn't embrace that. So I kind of went running away from that and then came back to the Lutheran Church. One of the things that I did feel in a part of that group, and I was only in it for a few months, but it did have a big impact, um, was their worship. The worship felt very, how should I call it, emotionally performative. Uh, you had to, it wasn't enough to just pray, you had to show that you were emoting a lot when you prayed. You had to demonstrate passion in what you did. And they were always, always, always bad-mouthing Lutherans and Catholics and mainline churches that had liturgies because they're just rote and they just go through the motions and they just, they don't have any passion and they just say it without feeling it. And so I asked the question, well, how do I, how do you know you're feeling it? Um, and the way they were feeling it is there was certain kind of, again, this is the performative part, kind of the, 
You had to look a certain way. You had to kind of cringe your eyes and squint your, squint your eyes and you had to feel the pain, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, I just, and you had to kind of do this, right? And I watched him and I could never do it. So we'd go around the room, pray, say a prayer and you know, one is squinting and he's just in pain. He's squeezing that prayer out in the next one. She's in tears and she's falling down and it gets to me and I'm the Lutheran and I'm like, uh, dear God, help me with my finals. And then I kind of get this weird look like, you know, what's wrong with you? So one day I decided, I'd, I'd done theater in high school, and so I decided I was going to kind of watch how they did their prayers. So I'm kind of I'm watching, I'm observing all this. Uh, and I decided one day that I was going to try a little bit of the, uh, I was going to perform it. I was going to show how emotional and passionate I was. And so I learned to squint my eyes and, 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 and interrupt yourself. You've got to interrupt yourself. Dear Lord, dear Lord, Jesus Christ, Father God, Father God, dear Lord, Jesus Christ, I just, I just, and you realize you can go on for 10 minutes and never finish a sentence because you interrupt yourself every other word and you squint in your eyes, you look painful and you just, and they, oh man, they all believed it was honest. And I don't think they were lying or being, performing, I really don't. I think for them it was natural and that was the way you pray. But I did find it very hypocritical to criticize liturgical churches for being fake and always going through the motions when I could clearly fake it and go through the motions. Um, and of course, I always ask, why is emotional response necessary for a prayer to be a real prayer? I mean, if I'm worried about my finals, I'm worried about my finals, even if my voice is flat. Um, but so you combine all this, the angry judgmentalism, the narrow-mindedness, the literalism, the, the weird sort of interpersonal dating dynamics, all of it, I finally left it. I did spend some time uh, before I went back into the church considering atheism pretty seriously, uh, you know, kind of spending a lot of nights in my bed going, uh, am I believing this because it's real? Uh, am I just believing all this God stuff because it's just been pushed down my throat for years? Um, and I, I, did, I did spend a lot of time considering that. I felt for myself that I, I sort of came to a realization for me that, that I was missing God's presence and, I, and the presence, if it wasn't there, that meant it must have been there. But it also made me think Christianity that I'd grown up and known and experienced couldn't be what I was feeling in, as a part of this group that this group had to be a deviation, that while I loved the people, uh, I loved their passion, you know, I wish all my mainline uh, friends had been as passionate about the scriptures and about their faith um, and as passionate about living it out. I, I, I really wish that we did have that passion, but I couldn't stomach the doctrines and the beliefs. Uh, and so I went back into the Lutheran church and I just sat down in the pews and went through the liturgy and it was actually very freeing. Uh, and I didn't have to pretend to be feeling anything. Uh, there wasn't that air of weird tension and heavy law over everything. Um, it just felt like a more, it felt like a, in a way, I, in a room I could experience uh, sort of an openness. And I realized that's what, that's what it was really all about along was grace, you know. God is not a judgmental punisher looking to try to figure out a way to send you to hell. Um, God really does love us and want us to be redeemed. It says in John, Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Um, and I rediscovered that. So I've kind of made it my life goal 
That's just my story, abbreviated, shrunk in a nutshell, probably not told very well, because I've had to do it too many, too many times, but um, that's kind of my story, shrunk down in a nutshell. And it's been one of my, maybe my mission a little bit, a part of my understanding of my call, to try to convey this idea of a graceful, loving God uh, to a world that is full, that it doesn't experience it, that either experiences no God or experiences a fundamentalist God. And, uh, and that's one of the things I realized when I was trying to sit down last fall, like, okay, what do I talk about in the spring? And I said, well, what does the world need to hear? And I said, the world needs to hear that there is this third way. And I believe it, I've experienced it, and I've made it my big part of my life's mission, of my career, my purpose as a pastor, to try to show the world, uh, to help people experience the kind of grace that I experienced, to, so that you can't, because I want, I really do want everyone to know Jesus and to know God's love, and to know God's love, not this judgmental, sort of legalistic, um, sexually repressed, finger-pointing kind of caricature that Jesus has become for many. And that's kind of me rediscovering grace. So, what am I going to do here? Just give me a second. <coughs> My cough. So, uh, what am I going to do? Well, in the next few weeks, and I don't know how many weeks, we'll just kind of go, we'll just kind of run with it. Uh, I kind of keep this relaxed. We'll kind of run with it. Uh, I'm going to look at some different topics of how I understand, how we understand at Lord of Grace in the ELCA, uh, what makes us who we are. How do we understand God, theology? We'll spend some time on the Bible. Or there's no way to get around that. I hope, you, I hope you can go back in my fall live streams. I spent a lot of time on marriage and family. I'm sure that, that's going to come up again. Uh, our understandings of human sexuality because those are important things. Uh, we'll look some at that. We'll look at how to interpret the Bible, not literally. How to take it seriously without being literally. What does that mean? And, uh, uh, and maybe just look at some of our positions and just talk about some things that really make us who we are, that I think are cool, and that I think, uh, I, I think can be life-changing. And I hope you'll come along for the ride on this and join me along with this and uh, experience the great God along this sort of third way of knowing Christianity. So that's all I've got for today. Um, I also hope, I'll just put in one last plug before I close this down, uh, I am going to be doing a class starting next week on Wednesday nights. I will live stream it, but it will, it will be in person. I think you'll get a better experience in person, but I will live stream it. A class on the social statements of the ELCA, of our denomination. It's not going to do all of them. It's going to do six different social statements and look at how we make social statements. Because I think, again, you will find, if you look at what the ELCA social statements are, at what our church teaches, it'll be a big breath of fresh air. Um, and you will find it kind of neat to see. I, and I think a lot of us don't know about these statements, about what they say. And again, so it's just an interactive class. Can I show you what they are? Give you a chance to answer questions. And, that's what we're, and so that's what I'm going to do. So check those out. Those are going to be Wednesdays here. So, all right. Well, I hope, uh, I hope that helps you a little bit. I hope you'll join me along. And I hope everyone has a great time. So um, enjoy your week, and I'll talk to you later. God bless.